I forgot to mention our missionaries, the Fasten Rolls, but if you'd pray for them, they have some pretty serious family issues, so pray for the Fasten Rolls when you go to prayer tonight, as you get home or after you get home. <coughs> I want to start in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 21. <coughs> I thought Steve's prayer request was interesting because we do need to have balance when it comes to all issues, but one of the vital issues of this hour, September the 23rd, September the 23rd, 2020, one of the vital issues of this hour is certainly the COVID issue. We want to have God's help when we look at these things. And so in 1 Thessalonians, they say if you put a cough drop in your mouth that when the cough drop is gone you're supposed to be done preaching but I'm going to put a cough drop in my mouth so I don't I don't cough and if it's a button instead of a cough drop we'll be here all night okay I'll see if this helps a little bit I still have a little bit of the Oh, what's that dust that's in the air? Ragweed? A lot of people are allergic to ragweed, and I get that stuff in my throat, and it seems like I, I don't get over it until we have a good hard freeze, and it's too early for that, or a snowfall. It's too early. I'll just struggle through it, okay? First <coughs> Thessalonians 5.21. The Bible says, Prove all things and hold fast to that which is good. Hold fast to that which is right and proper and accurate. <coughs> These notes tonight, most of them come from a book written by an author in Minneapolis. I won't give you his name because he's not of the same stripe that we are exactly, but he's close to us. But uh, when he started the book, he said, I don't know if I'll be able to finish it. I, I might be in heaven before... I finished the last chapter. But the title of his book is Christ, no, The Carnova Virus and Christ. That's the title of his book. And as I read it, I thought to myself, this is worth sharing with other people. At least the main points. I don't want to plagiarize the whole book. But I can take the main points and give them to you, and hopefully you'll find them helpful. If I were to read you just the main points, I'd be done in less than a minute. But I always always have to add the Horsberg translation, my my take on some of these main points. But before I get started, yesterday, I, as I got the mail for the pastor, I noticed that the uh, sword of the Lord came. So I, Katie's here. I stole his copy of Sword of the Lord, and as as I was reading about noteworthy news, they had this article in there about they had two articles actually that were very interesting. One is that Amazon has pulled from their list of books made available to the general public, and the book they pulled from their list involves all the dangers of the homosexual lifestyle. And they figured the book was offending so many people they had to take it off their list of books to sell. Not smart. But the second one was in relationship to this COVID thing. And uh, it's short, so I'll read it to you. It says, to better understand the COVID-19 mortality rate in the U.S., Steve Deese, 
compiled data from the official Centers for Disease Control and Prevention website. Deese and his team independently pieced together the information released by the CDC to the general public with the goal of helping Americans better understand why much of the pandemic panic was an overreaction. Here's what they found out about the COVID mortality rate in the U.S. Age 83 and older. Anybody here over 83 and would admit it? Okay, age 83 and older. I'm, I'm getting there, okay? Age 83 and older make up 3%, 3.2% of the U.S. population. But they also provide one-third of the COVID deaths. So if you're over 83, you better be very careful, okay? Age 75 and older make up 7% of the U.S. population, but 59% of the COVID deaths. So again, if you're over that 75 mark, be careful and be cautious. Not paranoid, but be careful and cautious. Age 54 and younger make up 70% of the U.S. population, but only 8% of the COVID deaths. So if you're under 58, 54, you got a good chance of surviving just fine. Now, I don't know if I believe this next one totally, but it is interesting, so I'll read it to you. Kids, kindergarten through college and undergraduate level, according to data released by the CDC, are in no danger of dying of COVID-19. The median age of COVID-19 deaths is around 78, which is also the average age of the U.S. life expectancy. Deese, the fellow who wrote this article, saved the most important fact for the last. He said the way the CDC coded all COVID deaths, the CDC coded all deaths died with COVID rather than died from COVID. Do you get that? They died, they, they labeled it all deaths with COVID rather than dying from COVID. So if, if somebody dies, in most cases, they died of heart failure or lung failure or something, but they probably had tested positive for COVID, but the COVID did not kill them. That's what the last statistic is telling us. So there's a something you can balance in the mix with the other stuff. Let me go through this list for you and hope it'd be helpful to you. And I, I think our brother who wrote the book is, is right when he says, number one, God, through COVID, is picturing the ugliness of sin. The ugliness of sin. Uh, there's many references that you could use. He didn't give us a reference in the book, but I picked one myself because I do think there ought to be a reference for all of these things to see what the Word of God might have to say or to see how the Holy Spirit might help us. Mark 8.38 is the reference that I picked. Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me, as Jesus speaking, and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. Now, 2,000 years ago, it was called an adulterous and sinful generation. And I don't know how it could be any more adulterous and sinful back then than it is now. 
But I do think the Lord, through things like this, I think He wants to remind us that He, he still hates sin. It's an ugly it's an ugly thing, and you and I should stay as far away from it as we can, because the consequences of sinning usually include driving us from truth, driving us from church, and driving us away from the Word of God. And every once in a while, the Lord has to give us a picture of uh, how ugly sin really is. So that's the first uh, lesson that we have for tonight. Let's look at the second one. For the second one I chose for a reference, Philippians 1.29. The second lesson is that God is reminding us, again, through COVID-19, that the godly will suffer. Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 29. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Now, I don't know anybody personally that has died from COVID-19. I do know last night on the news, they said they reached the 200,000 mark. When they showed all the pictures on the news, I was counting the individuals, and I think 95% of them were young people. And I think they did that on purpose. They pictured young people dying. It just intimidated us a little bit. And I, I saw one lady that looked like she could be in her 70s. And really, it should have been the other way around. According to the statistics that I just read, 95% of the photos should have been older people rather than the young and the healthy. And so uh, we need to be reminded that uh, godly people will suffer. You don't have to be a Christian long to realize that Christians get a divorce sometimes. You don't have to be a Christian long to realize that sometimes the pastor's wife has cancer. You don't have to be a Christian long to realize that sometimes the best prayer in the, the, the best prayer warrior in the church is called home before 50. You know, Christians suffer. And, and it's, uh, I think it's a gift. Because I think when, when, when you and I suffer, the world, the lost world around us, looks at our attitude. They look to see how we're handling it. And if they see that we're handling it well, and that doesn't mean without tears and without sorrow, but if they see that if we're handling it with a trust in God, I think that opens up doors for you and I to share the gospel with them. Uh, more than once I've asked people that have been in emergency rooms, you know, how can you, how can you be so pleasant under the circumstances that you're going through? And, and they say, well, I'm trusting God. He knows the beginning from the end. He's in charge. I'm not. The doctors aren't. Just trusting God. And that's an encouragement to me when I see that. Can you imagine how the lost and dying world would, would look at that? So we need to remember that a proper attitude during that time of suffering when it comes could draw folks to Christ. And the Bible says in I believe it's First Peter. Hope I'm right on this. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. In other words, we're told that it's coming. And I shared on Saturday morning that about every seven years, you and I have a fiery trial to deal with. About every seven years, we bury somebody we love. 
or there's a divorce in some of our adult children, there's a, there's a, there's a heavy tragedy that hits our families. And hopefully, when we suffer, we suffer in a godly fashion. And we don't suffer like the world does. And just get mad at God and shake our fist at Him and start a, start a cult to get even. But God is reminding us, first of all, of the ugliness of sin. Secondly, He's reminding us that the godly will suffer. And by the way, it's for His sake. It's sometimes in our lives, not always, but we suffer for the glory of God. And that's the only reason. It's not because you're bad. It's not because you're, you're evil or unclean. It's because God wants to bring glory through you. And so he ends up allowing you to suffer for his sake. And I can think of several suffering saints in my life that have been a real huge encouragement blessing. The third one, God's giving us a wake-up call. Boy, that's for sure. Uh, the reference I chose, I know you're going to laugh when I tell you this, but 1 Thessalonians when I get to the right verse here, you'll say, oh, now I know why he chose that verse. 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, verses 13 through 18, which is the rapture passage that most of you are familiar with. But if you look down at verse number 16 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump. <laughs> I, I, think this, I think the Lord has a sense of humor. With the trump, we have, we have President Trump. And trust me, he is sounding off. Uh, he has been the most interesting president I've ever been under. But uh, he likes to make noise. Most of what he, noise he makes, he, he seems to get things accomplished. So I'm happy with that. But uh, I do not think that this passage is talking about Donald Trump. I just think it's funny that his name happens to be in the Bible. <laughs> okay. God is giving us a wake-up call that the rapture is close. I really believe the disciples of Jesus expected the rapture to happen before they died. And I think a lot of them wished it had because most of them were tortured for their faith. I really think for years now, Christians have said that the rapture has to be close. And, uh, you know, it's it, the day and the hour, that's up to the Lord. But I personally think it's so close. I, I really do. I mean, I would not be surprised if we were raptured before the church service is over. Because so many things have fallen into place. And it seems like a lot of the things that are happening in the world are setting the stage for the Antichrist to rule. It just seems that way. Now, for the sake of my children and grandchildren, I want them to live and enjoy life on planet Earth, so I'm not going to uh, hurry it in. But I do believe we are very, very close to the rapture. Look at the last couple verses. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then verse 18, it says, Comfort one another with these words. And uh, boy, what a way to remind people, hey, the Lord's coming soon. And uh, you want to hear something comforting? Let me give you the gospel. Because that is a comforting thing to know that the Lord is coming soon to take his loved ones with him. The rapture, I know, is 2,000 years closer today than it was in the time of Jesus. And uh, 
sooner or later, the songwriter says, sooner or later it's going to happen. And uh, I hope I'm alive when it happens. Then I won't have to go through all the pain of dying. I'm not afraid of dying. I just don't like the chapter before you die. That's the one I'm trying to get out of. It's the pain before the death that worries me a little bit. But the death itself, I look forward to it because I'll go to be with the Lord. So I think we need this reminder. It the ugliness of sin. It reminds us that the godly will suffer, so we need to put our seatbelts on and be ready. He's given us a wake-up call. Number four, <coughs> and I would say this is probably one of the best one of the list here. In Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. <coughs> Excuse me. Writing here to the church at Ephesus. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent. By the way, if you're interested in producing a sermon, there I see four four words that start with the letter R here. Three are given and one is implied. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, there's the first word, and repent, which is mentioned twice, the beginning of verse 5, and then it's mentioned again at the end of verse 5. So you have remember and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick. There's the third R out of its place. And so we see remember, we see repent twice, and we see remove, and it says that we are to return. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. There's the implied return. The Lord wants us to do those things that we did when we were first saved, and we were really excited. He doesn't want us to be asleep in our Christian uh, joys, and in our Christian witnessing he wants us to be as excited and dynamic as we was remember that first year you were saved i was saved at age 30 well i recall that first year uh, everybody in the barracks was offering me drinks and i said no i don't do that those things i used to do i don't do them anymore and uh that was just you know and then when i had a, a young pastor teach me how to witness and go soul winning man that was one of the greatest days of my life because i could see the word of god change people's lives right in front of my face and the Lord is reminding us here in this passage in Revelation that sometimes as believers, you know, the Bible is fundamentally written to believers, that we need to have that spirit of repentance and sorrow towards our, towards our laziness, towards our mediocrity, perhaps towards some falling away or falling back into an old sinful habit. He wants us to repent from that, return, and then realign our lives to be more Christ-like. Oh, to be like thee, the songwriter says. That should be on everybody's lips. We should realign our lives to be more Christ-like so that sinners can be saved and backsliders can be put back on the right path. So number four is God's reminding us to repent, return, and realign our lives more Christ-like. Number five, God is calling us to overcome fear and self-pity with the joy of the Lord through good works for His glory. Two references I have for this one. The first one is 2 Timothy 1.7. 2 
<coughs> where it says God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Now, there's a lot of people and a lot of Christians that are afraid of the data. They're afraid of the statistics. They're so afraid of the data and the statistics and all the conspiracy theories that are out there that they're frozen and they're not able to serve the Lord with joy, uh, with confidence that God's still in charge. This is no surprise to you. And he's going to take care of us. And we need to realize that God doesn't want us to be afraid of data. And he doesn't want us to be afraid of the way the world behaves. They behave like they do fundamentally because they're lost. They're not safe. That shouldn't, that shouldn't cause fear in our life. And it shouldn't bring self-pity. You know, self-pity isn't worth its weight in manure, one man said. Now, God pitieth his children. That's a different thing. But we should not be saying, woe is me. Oh, you, I feel so sorry for myself. We don't have time for that. We need to stay busy for the glory of God and not let fear rule, but let the power of God, the love of God, and that, that mental saneness be, be ours. We need to claim that. Uh, many times when I've been given a, a tough decision to make and I feel like I'm losing my mind, what am I going to do? Do I, I pay these taxes or not? And the Lord says, pay them. But sometimes I feel like I'm going crazy because I can't make the decision. And uh, I'm so thankful for the last part of 2 Timothy 1.7 that the Lord says, look, I'm, I want to give you a sound mind. I want to give you your sanity so that you can handle anything the devil throws at you. We should be able to handle anything the world throws at us. I mean, we have the best leader in the world the Lord himself. What do we have? Fear. But fear itself. And then the second reference I have is Matthew 5, 16. Now that's another verse that many of you know. Uh, Let your light so shine. Let me get there so I can quote it properly here. Matthew 5 and 16. How many of you are happy that my cough drop is almost gone? Matthew 5 and verse 16. Pastor Yoder would have all these memorized or typed out, but I'm I'm too lazy, so I'm not going to do that. I, I like looking them up anyway. And besides, if I look them up slowly, I think some of you are looking them up too, so that's a good deal. Matthew 5 and verse 16. Most of you have this committed to memory. Let your light so shine before men, not just save men. We don't just let our light shine on Sunday morning and Wednesday night. We need to let our light shine all week long. Let your light so shine before men, saved and lost, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. And that's what we need to be doing in these last days. We need to be doing good works for His glory. We were sharing with a fellow last night about why we do the things we do as believers. Here we are out on a Tuesday night, sitting in an old trailer house. We could be home with our families. We could be home... You know, taking it easy and having a cup of coffee. And we told the couple, we said, look, we, we just do this because we're thankful to God for what he's done for us. We're not doing this for extra credit for church. We're not doing this because we get paid for it. No, I do, I guess, a little bit. You pay me some for, for my services here. But even if you didn't pay me, I'd still do it. Because I want others to see God working through me. 
I want God to get the glory for that. So that we can have the joy of the Lord through the good works that we do for his glory. So the two references I have for number five are 2 Timothy 1.7 and Matthew 5.16. And again, if you're thinking of a reference, that's fine. There's probably many that would fit here. I'm just giving you a small sampling. Number six, God is loosening through the COVID thing the roots of settled Christians, those that have kind of kicked back and decided, I'm just going to ride out the storm till Jesus comes, and freeing them to spread the gospel everywhere. The reference I chose is Acts 1.8, which has always been a favorite of mine. If you look at that one in Acts 1.8, it's interesting. Most of you know this, but I'll just give you the reminder But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses. And look at the pattern. Unto me both in Jerusalem, that's like Brookings, and in all Judea, that's like South Dakota, and in Samaria, that's like the whole United States, and under the uttermost part of the earth. And that's all those places across the river that you and I get to go to. He wants us to be a light, and he wants us to be a witness. And sometimes when things like COVID happen, we realize that all the hay and stubble we have at home really isn't worth all that attention and all that time. But the souls out there are worth so much. Do you realize that if you impress one person, if you witness and impress one person to get saved, you've probably done more than most Christians have? So just, just win one. I always tell people, try to win one person in a year. One person in a year. Try to get one person next to you in church, either in your pew or in some other church, in a year. That would double our size in one year. And then the next year it would double again and again. Just but uh, keep witnessing and keep uh, serving the Lord and keep spreading the gospel. You spread it in Brookings and Sooner or later, you're down in South Dakota spreading it, or in Sioux Falls spreading it, and then you then you get over, you wander over to Minnesota for a wedding, and you spread it over there. Then the Lord calls you to Arizona or Kentucky, you spread it there, and maybe like some of us, you, you'll get the opportunity to go overseas. They told us when we went to Israel, they said, by the way, they, they frown on sharing the gospel in Israel. They said, they do? Well, that is wonderful. But I refuse to be intimidated by, you know, what's that sign they have in most stores? No socializing. Or soliciting, I think is the word. No soliciting allowed. And I don't try to be rude. But if somebody wants to talk to me about Jesus in the Goodwill store, I'm not going to leave the Goodwill store. I'm going to witness right there. Okay? And that's the way it's supposed to be. And if somebody in Walmart... Ask for a gospel track. I'm going to give them one. And I really think that sometimes all these silly laws are just designed to keep us quiet and to keep us settled. And number six says, God is loosening the roots of settled Christians. I think we could use a little healthy rebellion from the ways of the world and just a little more loyalty following the Lord and what he calls us to do. And that's to spread the gospel. Spread seeds. Recognize and don't forget the importance of your witness. 
I think that's the main thing behind number six here. There are people watching you in your neighborhood. They're watching your witness. You may never get over there with the Bible, but they're watching you. And they might end up in church one day simply because of your witness and your testimony. It always amazes me in this part of the country, brother, when we have a funeral. I don't know how it is. I think it's pretty much the same in Brookings. But when we served up in Yulin, a lot of times our services would be less than 12 people. But you know what? We'd have a funeral, and we had wall-to-wall people, and the parking lot was never big enough. Those farmers just love paying last respects. And the church would fill up every time we had a funeral. Plump, full, and overflowing. And this preacher and others have had the chance to share the gospel. Just because somebody was watching their neighbor's witness, and they decided to go to his or her So uh, keep witnessing everywhere. Keep spreading the gospel. Now, number seven is one that I added. I didn't get permission from the author I, because they're my notes. I just did it, okay? But uh, I think what I have under number seven and what you have might be a little bit different, but I'm going to read what I have. God is reminding us that he not only chastens individually, that's a little different from what you have, but he also administers national chastening. Do I have something like that on your paper? Okay, God sometimes issues national chastening. Could we be going through some national chastening? Uh, One reference that I think of is Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 8, and we'll close with this. But I think if the Lord loves individuals, He also loves countries. It's obvious because of His love for Israel. And I do believe the nation is blessed whose God is the Lord. And I do believe the nations that are against the Lord or those that are on their own are going to have to suffer the consequences. But in Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about this chastening. Verse number 5 of Hebrews chapter 12. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as children, my son. Despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. You could, you could change the words a little bit in this verse, and you could still get the same meaning for the nation or the country that the Lord loves. He chastens that country, and he scourgeth every country, okay, whom he receives. I, I believe the Lord sometimes chasten, chastens nationally. And I see it in the scriptures all through the Old Testament. Israel would do well, The kings would do that which was right in the sight of God. And then a little while later, the kings did evil in the sight of God. And I can see the chastening hand of God against the nation of Israel. And who are we as Americans to think that maybe God isn't dishing out a little loving chastening to us through the COVID thing? I mean, if we are the number one propagator and seller of liquor, and if we are the number, we have the largest jail system in the world, if we sell pornography, then 95% of the rest of the countries. I mean, who are we to think, as a nation, we don't deserve some chastening? One of my favorite Old Testament Bible characters is Daniel. The reason I like Daniel is because Daniel was right and he was upstanding, but he always prayed for Israel. He always prayed for his nation. You and I need to pray for our nation too because the Lord sometimes administers national chastening. Look what it says in verse 7. If you endure chastening... 
then God deals with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if you be without chastisement, if nations that have abandoned God and forgotten God, if nations are without chastisement, wherefore all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who's a Christian from Russia, was asked to speak at a graduation ceremony in one of the big Ivy League colleges out east. It was either Harvard or Yale. And he brought up the, at the end of his speech to all these graduates, he says, the problem with America is that you have forgotten God. And Alexander Scholzen was scolded by the staff of that college, and he was asked never to return. I want to tell you something. That's our biggest problem. Because as a nation, now you people haven't forgotten God, but as a nation, we have forgotten. We mock him on sitcoms. We, we curse in his name. Just as a nation, we have behaved carelessly, foolishly. And that's why it's important for you and I to behave properly and biblically and well-balanced throughout the rest of this COVID mess that we're in. And all God's children said, Amen, and my cough drop is just, is just so tiny now. It's really tiny. Okay, no. <laughs> you want to stay here that long? Let's stand and be dismissed in prayer.